gentle, sweet Jesus spoke so harshly to these Pharisees. In fact, his words of rebuke are so severe that they really do sound shocking to our modern ears because we're not accustomed to anyone talking like this to, to anyone, especially religious leaders, even if they are promoters of error and falsehood. Because you and I know that we live in a society that, that really goes out of its way to be politically correct, to sound nice and tolerant and non-judgmental to everyone, even heretics who, who blaspheme God. And the prevailing thought of our day is that we don't want to offend anybody and turn anybody off to the gospel by telling them the unpleasant truth about themselves, even if they are the leader of a cult or a member of a cult or a false religious system. Well, I want you to know that that may be the prevailing thinking of our day, but Jesus didn't embrace it. Jesus rejected that. Jesus didn't think like that. Jesus didn't behave that way. He was never timid or afraid to expose the evil hearts of false religious teachers by telling them right to their faces exactly what they were. chapter 12, Jesus had some harsh language for the Pharisees, and it wasn't just because they accused him of being satanic. The damage the Pharisees inflicted upon unsuspecting souls was almost beyond belief. However, you might be wondering why Jesus, gentle, kind, sweet Jesus, spoke so harshly to these Pharisees. His words of rebuke are so severe that they really do sound shocking to our modern ears. But Jesus wasn't into calling people by names just for the sake of doing that. Jesus wanted those in the crowd to not be naive, but to understand exactly what the Pharisees were like so that they did not embrace the Pharisaical views. As Pastor Steve Kreloff joins us in just a moment, he is going to continue talking about the importance and the impact of words. Our words. With today's verse-by-verse broadcast, here is Pastor Steve Kreloff. Here's how one Bible teacher explained the damage done by these wicked men and their false teaching. This isn't a neutral issue, folks. These were evil, wicked men, and you'll understand that's why Jesus spoke so harshly to them. Here's what one writer said. Their unbiblical, legalistic traditions poisoned the minds of fellow Jews against the pure and redeeming truth of God's word, and their hypocritical self-righteousness led countless others into that same evil attitude. When someone reached into the woodpile of religion, thinking to pick up a stick of truth, he could be bitten to death by those soul-damning liars. That's precisely why Jesus said, what he said. No wonder the Lord reserved such harsh language for these men because the damage they inflicted upon unsuspecting souls was almost beyond belief. You know how bad it was? In Matthew 23, Jesus spoke of the deadly damage done by these men as they scampered around and, and tried to lead Gentiles into their belief system. Here's what he said. Listen to this. Matthew 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. They would travel all over the Mediterranean just to make one proselyte, he said. It means a Gentile convert to Judaism. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. 
Now he's talking about rabbinical Judaism, not biblical Judaism. You, you would travel anywhere to make one Gentile convert to your way of thinking and you have now condemned him beyond what he was even condemned because now, now he has embraced your legalistic traditional system which is anti-biblical. Now let me stop here for a moment and address something that may be on your mind. In fact, if it's not on your mind now, it may be later on your mind. You might be wondering why Jesus, gentle, sweet Jesus, spoke so harshly to these Pharisees. In fact, his words of rebuke are so severe that they really do sound shocking to our modern ears because we're not accustomed to anyone talking like this to to anyone, especially religious leaders, even if they are promoters of error and falsehood. Because you and I know that we live in a society that that really goes out of its way to be politically correct, to sound nice and tolerant and non-judgmental to everyone, even heretics who, who blaspheme God. And the prevailing thought of our day is that we don't want to offend anybody and turn anybody off to the gospel by telling them the unpleasant truth about themselves, even if they are the leader of a cult or a member of a cult or a false religious system. Well, I want you to know that that may be the prevailing thinking of our day, but Jesus didn't embrace it. Jesus rejected that. Jesus didn't think like that. Jesus didn't behave that way. He was never timid or afraid to expose the evil hearts of false religious teachers by telling them right to their faces exactly what they were. I mentioned before Matthew 23, and we'll get to that eventually, hopefully before I'm a real old man. But in Matthew 23, I want you to hear some of the things that Jesus called the the scribes and Pharisees, how blunt he was, how bold he was in telling them exactly what they were like. In this chapter, for example, many times he calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites, over and over again, you hypocrites, woe to you hypocrites, it means you phonies. He called them blind guides, they, they are the blind leading the blind. He referred to them as fools and blind guides. You're not just blind guides, you're foolish men as well. He called them also serpents, you brood of, of vipers and serpents. Now, who speaks like that to people? You don't hear people speak like that today. Well, we should because Jesus did. Jesus did. And we need to learn an important lesson from him about the way that he rebuked people. It is important to understand why Jesus spoke this way. You don't speak to a struggling disciple the way you speak to a self-righteous Pharisee. You don't speak to a false teacher the way you speak to a genuine Christian. Why did Jesus speak this way to these people? He did it to protect those who could be influenced by the Pharisees. You remember, the setting is this. After Jesus cast out a demon from a man, the crowd that was around said, could this be the son of David? It couldn't be him, could it? There's a whole crowd that's still debating in their mind, is Jesus the real Messiah? And the Pharisees panic because they don't want the people to stop following them and follow Jesus. And so they jump in here and the Pharisees say, no, no, he's not the Messiah. He is satanic. And Jesus reserves strong language for these men because he wanted to protect them from poisoning the minds of the crowd. He wanted to expose them for what they really were and so he denounced them with the strongest language so that others would know the truth about them and hopefully avoid their teaching. That's what's going on here. It's no different than the strong language we we read 
Peter giving in Second Peter and Jude, the same thing in denouncing false teachers. Those books are very strong in their denouncements of false teachers. Why? For the same reason, they're, they're not negative uh, name-calling for the sake of name-calling. Jesus wasn't into calling people by names just for the sake of doing that. They spoke out against false teachers in order to help believers to see that these men were really wicked and avoid them. And avoid their teaching. That's exactly what the Lord is doing here with these blasphemous Pharisees. He wants those standing around to not be naive, to understand exactly what these men are like so that they don't embrace that same view. He wants to protect these people from having their minds poisoned by these deceptive vipers. So, here's the principle. You may find yourself in a similar situation where someone... You may be around someone who is propagating false teaching in the presence of either an unsafe person who's who's somewhat open to the truth or perhaps a new believer who's ready to to grab hold of anything he hears publicly that, that has the word Bible in it because he's naive. You've got to follow Christ's example by protecting people like that and boldly exposing false teachers for what they really are. And you know what? When you start doing this, you may say, but they're going to be offended. They obviously are going to be offended. It's all right in this way to offend people. Jesus didn't stop telling them what they were like because they might have their feelings hurt. You well, Listen, I can assure you you'll offend people. You don't call them hypocrites and a brood of vipers and they say, thank you. I needed to hear that. They will be offended. They'll be offended by the truth. And oh, well, that's the way it is. They will be offended. Now, you may wonder, well, how do I know what's in the heart of a, of a person? How do I know if this person is a false teacher? How, how can I tell someone that he has an evil heart? Who am I to judge anyone's heart? Well, once again, notice in verse 34 that Jesus called these Pharisees who had accused him of being satanic deadly, deceptive little snakes because he knew what was in their heart. He spoke to them this way because he did know what was in their hearts. And you may think, well, of course he knew what was in their hearts. He's God. He knows everything. Well, that's true, but that's not why Jesus knew what was in their hearts. That's not the point here. He didn't know that these men were snakes because he was God alone. He knew what was in their hearts the same way that you and I can know what is in the heart of every unbeliever. Jesus knew what was in their hearts and you can know what's in a person's heart, because of the words that flow out of their mouths. Notice once again verse 34. You brood of vipers, how can you, Jesus said, being evil, he knew they were evil, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth, and this is his clarification, speaks out of that which fills the heart. Jesus told these men that the reason they spoke against him with such venom, such poison, such blasphemy by calling him satanic was simply because they were evil inside. They were evil by nature. They had a sinful, wicked heart. In fact, he told them that it was, did you see this? It was impossible, he said, for them to say anything That was good because they were totally evil in their hearts. There was no good there. Therefore, the words that came out of their mouths were simply the overflow or the excess pouring out of their evil hearts. Look at verse 34 again. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? He's saying it is impossible for you to speak what is good. Impossible. Because you're evil. You're evil. In other words, these men were producing the rotten fruit of rotten speech because they were like bad trees Rotten to the core. There was nothing good in them. Now, these are very important words. And I want to stop for a moment 
to tell you how important they are because from these words flow two significant theological truths that are very, very important in our lives. First of all, they tell us that contrary to what, to what is the prevailing thought of our modern day world, human nature is naturally evil. It's not good. There's no divine spark of goodness in us. We're all born into this world, what theologians refer to as totally depraved. Every part of us is infected with sin. When Jesus told these Pharisees that they were evil, it was not simply an indictment against them, although it certainly was, but it wasn't only them. It was a statement describing the depravity and wickedness of the human heart, of all of us. And what does he mean by heart? He said, for out of the mouth speaks that, for the mouth rather speaks out of that which fills the heart. What does he mean by heart? He certainly doesn't mean the muscle in you that's pumping blood. He also doesn't mean by heart our human emotions. When the Bible refers to that, it speaks of another word. It speaks of the words of the bowels, meaning like if you get butterflies in your stomach, that's an emotional response. That's usually how the Bible refers to our emotions. But by heart, the Lord means the real you, the thinking process, the very core and center of your being, that which we would call our real character. He called the heart. In other words, what you are really like in your thought life. The real you. That's precisely what Proverbs 23, 7 means when it says, For as a person thinks within himself, so is he. In other words, whatever is consistently going on in your thought life, not just the passing thought, but whatever is you tend to mull over in terms of your values, your, your dreams, your aspirations, your goals, your desires, that's the way we really are. That's our true character. Whatever is the constant flow of your thought life, that's you. That's you, otherwise you wouldn't have those thoughts. That's what we're really like. And what are we really like? Well, the Bible teaches that every one of us is born with a wicked, evil character. Everyone. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart, once again, there's that word heart, the core of our being, our character, is more deceitful than all else, he said, and is desperately sick. It's wicked. And it's deceitful. He said, who, who can know it? We can't even know it. That's how wicked it is. I want you to look at Psalm 51 to see something of our evil nature. In Psalm 51, it's a wonderful psalm. David is repenting of his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. David committed a horrible sin. He also made sure that Bathsheba's husband was killed in the battlefield. Nathan the prophet approached him, gave him a little parable, and said, you're the man. You are the man who sins. I'm talking about you. And David was smitten in his heart. And Psalm 51 is the psalm in which he expressed in words genuine repentance. And I want to read to you the first four verses and you'll see what's coming out of, of David's heart. He said, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I've sinned. Notice there are no excuses. He said, Lord, this is what I did, and I did it against you. I've done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David had horrible remorse for his sin. He's feeling guilty because he was guilty. And so he's pouring out his heart in the first four verses, and he'll continue doing that. But it is in verse 5 that he pauses and explains why he did what he did, why he sinned. He tells us in verse 5, 
And this is not an excuse. This is just him saying he understands why he did this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Now we've said on many occasions David is not saying that his mother had an affair and he was the product of that union. What he is saying is that at conception he received a sinful nature. And when he was born, when he came out of his mother's womb, he had that sinful nature and that's why he has sinned. Because of his sin nature. In other words, he's saying that the sins that he committed stemmed from a rebellious, wicked nature, which he has always had. So we do need to understand that in in telling the Pharisees that they were completely evil, Jesus is making an indictment, a very strong indictment against all of us, all of Adam's children, the entire race of fallen creatures. Every one of us has an evil heart. We are born that way. And the only way that evil heart will ever be changed is not by religion, not by baptism, not by reformation. It is by transformation. This is what the new birth is about. This is what happens at salvation. Those who call upon the Lord have received a divine nature, a new nature, the Bible says. God says, I'll I'll change your heart. In the language of the Old Testament, he says, I'll give you a kosher heart. I'll cut your heart. I'll cut out the old sinful heart and give you a new heart. I'll give you a whole new nature. It's called a divine nature. That doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin, but it does mean that by our nature we are changed. By our nature, we are changed. We now have the capacity to to be like Christ and to grow in Christ-like character. Not only the capacity, there will be growth there because we have a new nature, even as we struggle still with sin. So that's the first truth that comes out of this. Man in his heart is evil. And so when people do evil, we ought not to think, where did that come from? Where did that come from? I, I don't understand why somebody did this. We ought to understand why they did this, because out of the heart comes all this sin. Now, the second important truth about ourselves that we learn from Christ's words to the blasphemous Pharisees is that our speech then reveals what's really in our hearts. Our speech reveals our inner character. Our speech reveals whether we are sinful or have been transformed. That's what Jesus meant, the last phrase at the end of verse 34, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. In other words, the words that come out of our mouths come from the overflow of what is already in our hearts. Charles Spurgeon, the British preacher, very quaintly explained this truth by saying, that which is in the well comes up in the bucket. It's a good visual. That which is in the well comes up in the bucket. That's exactly why the Pharisees spoke to to Jesus the way they did. It was in their hearts, it was in their will that they hated him, that they thought he was evil, and so it came out of the bucket, these evil words, out of the overflow of their hearts. These evil words were just the runover from their evil hearts. Now, now, folks, listen very carefully. The principle that Jesus is is giving here, teaching here, is much broader than, than the immediate situation of the Pharisees' blasphemy. In telling us that the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, the Lord is telling us very plainly that whatever we are in the inside, whatever we are in the inside in terms of our character will be revealed by the words that we speak. If you want to know what a person is really like, then just listen to the words they speak because whatever is in their hearts will eventually come out in their words. It has to. 
It has to because Jesus said the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So what does this mean practically? Well, practically speaking, it means that your words tell people exactly what you're like. Kind of a frightening thought. My words do that as well. The old saying about someone's bark being worse than their bite, meaning that they sound worse than they really are, that's just not true. That's, that's just a cliche. That's not true. If they are barking out unpleasant, menacing words, it's because that's exactly what they're like. It's exactly what they're like. There's no such thing as, well, I said this, but I really didn't mean it. No, you said what you meant. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So as much as we might like people to think of us in a certain way, your words tell them exactly what you're like. You cannot consistently fool people into thinking that you're a certain kind of person when you're not like that at all. And the reason you can't do this is because your words express what's on your mind, what's in your heart. Now, truth is, you may be able to hide from people what you're really like for a brief period of time, but it is only a brief period of time. Sooner or later, you're going to say something that will expose your heart. You can work on controlling your words, but listen, in a world of pressure, in a world of stress, in a world of problems, in a world in which we get tired, your real thoughts are going to surface and express itself in words at some point. At some point. And so the way this works, for example, is that if your inward disposition, if your basic character is that you are characterized by anger, eventually you're going to vent that anger in words. Because at some point, at some point, you are going to put your agitated thoughts into words. What comes out in your words will reveal that you are an angry person. Or if you're a person who has filled your mind with sexual lust, eventually you're going to express those lustful thoughts with some inappropriate words. Maybe not all the time, but at some point, perhaps it'll be a crude or sexually suggestive comment because that's what's in your mind. That's what your your heart is really saying. The principle is that the words that you and I speak really are so important because there is no such thing as I really didn't mean what I said. Or someone might say, I know I said hateful things to you, but I, I was just rash. I was impulsive. I, I wasn't thinking. No, you weren't restraining your words. You were thinking. You were thinking out loud. Or someone may say, you know what? Uh, that outburst you heard of those nasty remarks, just disregard them. That wasn't the real me. I was tired. I, I've been exhausted. Nonsense. That was the real you. That was the real you. Those words revealed the real you. You were just holding back before. Your words are the ultimate expression of what's in your heart. So here's an important question for us to consider. If our words reveal our hearts, and they do, does this mean that everyone is doomed all the time to always utter sinful, wicked words? Because there's so much sin, as we know, dwelling in our hearts. And the answer is no. It doesn't have to be like that. There is hope for us, great hope. And I say that because Jesus went on in verse 35 to say that there is a positive side to this principle of words revealing our character. Notice verse 35. He said, The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Now, in this statement, the Lord compares our hearts to a treasure from which our mouth speaks. It's very helpful, I think, enlightening, and I also think interesting to know that the specific Greek word that the Lord used here, or as Matthew translated it, and it was inspired, and he used a Greek word here, for treasure is the familiar word thesaurus. We have that word in our English language as well. What is a thesaurus? A thesaurus is a treasury of words. A treasury of words. So, so then what Jesus means is that our hearts are like a treasury, 
Our hearts are like a place where we store our thoughts. It was sobering when Pastor Steve said, if we are characterized by anger, eventually we're going to vent that anger in words. Because at some point, we're going to be agitated into words that come from the heart. What comes out in our words will reveal that we are an angry person. The principle we learned today is this. The words that we speak are important because there is no such thing as, I really didn't mean what I said. That was the real us when we said it. Our words are the ultimate expression of what's in our heart. Pastor Steve Kreloff is not going to leave us like that, though. We have some practical applications coming our way before this study in Matthew chapter 12 is finished, so please join us for the next verse-by-verse broadcast. But one other thing I would like to say before we're done today. If you are ever in the Clearwater, Florida area, please stop in at Lakeside Community Chapel where Pastor Steve is the pastor. Let them know you're a listener to the program. They would love to meet you. I hope you can join us for the next verse-by-verse broadcast as we continue our series called Words Have Meaning.